Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm here today with Joe Lupo and Carmen Colangelo. Joe Lupo received his BFA from Bradley University and MFA from the University of Georgia. He's now an associate professor and graduate coordinator at West Virginia University. Carmen was the director of the Lamar Dodd School of Art at the University of Georgia when Joe was a graduate student there. Carmen Colangelo is Canadian and he started his career in the same printmaking position as Joe at West Virginia University in 1984. He is currently the Dean of the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University in St. Louis. And today they're going to be discussing what strategies work and what makes a successful educator from the perspective of the admin. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand this over to the two of them. Hey, Carmen. Great. Hey, Joe. <laughs> so, first off, uh, obviously, thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk, and thanks to Ellen for asking us to talk. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is that, you know, you've obviously had a big impact on my career, but you've also had a big impact on many people's careers, and I feel like you take the responsibility of being an academic really seriously and in your opinions are valued in our community. So I thought it would be interesting to hear your uh, opinions and perspectives about teaching. Um, so uh, getting into the first question, I guess, uh, which is kind of the theme of what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, so you've had a range of experiences uh, and although you've been in administrative position for some time, uh, you've kept your teaching practice going. Um, I mean, I saw that you were just teaching students about printmaking, Washington Uni University students in, about printmaking in Europe. So from your various perspectives as a professor and as an administrator, you know, what characteristics or what habits do you think makes for, we'll start with just the teaching end of things, you know, what, what do you think makes for a good teacher? Right. Well, thanks, Joe. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you about this over all these years. Uh, you know, we've had great conversations and, I, you know, I think that it remains a very simple sort of formula, if, if you will, or relationship between teaching and practice or teaching and making art or doing research is a symbiotic relationship of the two, you know, have to be hand in hand. And, you know, for me, the idea of teaching really came out of the process of trying to learn how to become an artist as a graduate student and printmaking. Uh, I had my first te teaching experience really through lithography and teaching printmaking. And while I didn't think of myself as a teacher, by sharing the, the process of making uh, with young artists, I sort of really realized uh, was how gratifying uh, it was to really be able to share something, uh, both in terms of the process, but then also in terms of the idea, uh, concept, the, the thinking that went behind making a work of art and thinking about um, historical and contemporary uh, trends and uh, and ideas and over the years I would say that um, you know that that I've really stayed focused on being an artist at the same time as as um, you know really think you know being in the having opportunities really to teach at different levels uh, over the years uh, starting out in the printmaking studio, I really all, always thought about is really building building programs. And, and in order to build successful programs, you'd need to be able to provide, you know, students with really uh, exceptional experiences. And to do that, you had to bring in not only your own ideas, but bring in uh, the ideas of, of other artists as well. 
Uh, so, you know, I've always had great collaborative experiences with other faculty. Uh, you know, when I was there with you at the University of Georgia, you, you'll remember we had a lot of great, you know, visiting artists that really fueled the studio mm -hmm. and used the studio plus a diversity of different, a uh, different faculty. Mm -hmm. So what, what about academia? Do you think that, um, do you think that things have changed in academia over the years since, since you started teaching? I think that lots of things have changed. I don't know if the fundamental things have changed as significantly as we think, but I think certainly things have changed. The technologies have changed and how we approach our, our, our work. And one way I think teaching has changed a lot is that access to information is such a, uh, you know, something that our students have and, and are quite savvy, both in terms of like being able to, uh, do their own research and, and get their own information. So if we point them in the right direction, they can be more prepared and ready to talk about a subject rather than us front-ending uh, mm -hmm. conversation a lot. Uh, and in fact, I think we do them a disservice if we don't let them dig the information and, and use the information they bring to add a, a kind of uh, diversity to the conversation uh, because it's just, you know, they, they really aren't good passive learning, uh, learners. And we know that's through our own um, you know, on teaching that students learn best when they're when they're creating and making and, and invested in some way through, uh, you know, that a way that that both brings information to the process, but, uh, you know, is, is more about innovation and more about creating or seeking new knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, over the years, you know, one of the most seminal things I think that I ever ever done in my career as I was reflect even 20 years ago happened at West Virginia in 1996 when Sergio Suave and I came up with the concept of remote sensing for the SGC conference, which projected this idea of, of, of a significant shift, seismic shift really. And I think we're still grappling with what it really means to be, uh, you know, uh, dealing with that sort of uh, remote connection and disconnection at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, when you when you start out teaching, I think it's really easy to connect with your students because there isn't a big divide between you and your students. Right. But, you know, I learned quickly that it doesn't take long for there to start to become a divide. Right, right. And and since you still interact, you know, with students and, and I and I feel like again, like people, you know, respect your opinions about art and about teaching. How have you stayed relevant or how, how do you stay relevant, especially as an administrator where your time is really being pressed uh, with your administrative duties? You know, how, yeah. How do you how do you bridge that divide with students? How do you bridge that divide with faculty? How do you stay relevant as you continue in your career? Well, definitely the primary thing is being active in my own creative work and then also through that process, really uh, engaging in the discourse that's uh, that that is most contemporary and they try to pay attention to what what's going on but in many ways I think we you and I had conversations about this back in the day too you know I always felt that another way to do it is always to try to bring uh, you know different voices multi-generational voices into the studio and I don't think it's just about bringing young voices in but I think it's in, about bringing different perspectives and mostly more than anything I think it's about giving young people opportunities uh, 
you know, to, to help to also shape and change your own thinking. And that, that's what's really great about teaching still all these years is that I'm always kind of blown away by the students. Uh, you know, regardless of what everyone thinks about students today or students of yesterday, I mean, I just was, as you said, back from Florence teaching, and I was kind of blown away by the optimism of, and excitement of these students getting dirty. And they were coming from architecture and design, not necessarily even studio art making, but there, there's a kind of, uh, you know, there's a kind of uh, uh, a way that young people translate old media constantly renewing. And uh, I think sometimes it's, it's a matter of just putting yourself in the environment and not being afraid to be exposed to your own sort of vulnerabilities about what you know and don't know, you know, mm -hmm. like to experiment with the students and, and find out, uh, you know, what's happening with them. And, Again, a studio is a great place to to be, uh, you know, not not the dean, not the teacher, just sort of being there, uh, you know, figuring out how to, you know, get get that layer to work or that color to mix a, a certain way so it does what they want them to do. So you kind of get dirty with the students at the same time. It's fun. So I think an interesting thing for you to say is talking about exposing your vulnerable your vulnerabilities. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could you talk about that also in terms of your relationship with with teachers as well as the with the professors as an administrator yeah. you know, what kind of a relationship do you want to try or do you try to build right. with the faculty right well it's interesting you know all of these things are sort of applied in a sort of similar way and it seems sort of rather anecdotal sometimes to me but you know uh, when i started uh, even my directorship at the University of Georgia, they wanted a practicing artist. And, and you might remember back in those days, I kept Friday to the studio and the faculty would be really upset with me if I would, if I would miss the studio day and be in the office. And, uh, you know, sort of having my identity be an artist and, you know, well, on one hand over the years, because I've done it for so many years, I have, you know, the kind of acumen that leads me to be able to figure out, you know, how to you know, organize things, how to get things done, how to build faculty consensus and work with the faculty to meet common goals. Uh, I think being being always feeling like I'm working hard, I, I think that faculty, it matters to faculty if they feel like you're working hard for them. Um, I, I feel like I do. And and I also think it, the faculty appreciate that that you're that you're one of them and if you're working and you're and they see you uh, exhibiting and they see you trying to figure things out and that when you're in the studio you're also meaning teaching in the studio you're also more authentic authentic um so finding your authentic voice and being uh true to yourself and at the same time knowing uh what the challenges are of your particular school whether mm -hmm. it be you know the, and they're always challenges whether they're you know whether they're financial whether they're programmatic curricular or they're managerial sort of issues to deal with uh, tensions between different ideologies or <laughs> or passions or or whatever mm -hmm. um, i think i think you know being real being real uh and and being uh in a way exposed to just like as i was saying before you know um you know not not being being part of the whole community and trying to um and trying to be open about communicating what it is that the you know challenges are and and the other thing i would say i mean i might leave out of this because it, it, it can sound simplistic in a format like this is that, you know it's also a, 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 it's also an opportunity that goes back to your earlier point if you want to build a great school or a great program 
you got to both recruit great faculty and then give them the room to do what they need to do and to take it in a direction. And I think actually, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, I, I think that's kind of the both the, the most important and the hardest thing to do really, really well. I mean, it's easier just to hire like yourself and, and or like your, your colleagues, but to, to do it, to try to meet a new goal and try to hire faculty that really challenge the status quo, that's hard. <laughs> that's, and I think that that's interesting to think about in terms of uh, what you're talking about with the relationship with your faculty, in terms of, of, a, of an administrative vision as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how, when you came into Georgia, when you came into Wash U, did you, A, did you feel like you knew what you needed to get done? Uh, and B, you know, what, how, how tricky is it or what kind of a strategy do you have or do you have a strategy for communicating that vision or motivating faculty to kind of get on board with something that maybe they're not really right away in tune to or think that's worth doing? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't always necessarily think of myself as the person with the vision, but I think when um, when there's a goal instead of goals, like for instance, coming to Washington University was bring together the colleges of art and architecture and, and design and the, and the museum really had to think about a new structure that would allow us to uh, to to work together, but also one that would be exciting to think about what the interdisciplinary opportunities would be. So in a way, that's a vision that was created even before my, my hiring. But then to fulfill that, you know, a lot of it has to do with really creating the right uh, the right environment, one of trust, one of, uh, you know, being able to openly debate and discuss and to try to also at the same time uh, try to show people that there's a, a, a bigger goal that can really be beneficial to, to the whole. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, at the heart of it, I, I really feel like I'm a collaborator, uh, you know, and my leadership style lends itself to sort of bringing people around the table. The great ideas are, are rarely with me. They're, they're usually, you know, with, with the faculty and, and with the students and, 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 but what I, what I can do is sort of, uh, you know, uh, I, I can I can help to sort of bring those things together into a, a formulated plan. And, and I believe a lot in my, my, you know, even though I'm a sort of like, you know, intuitive in many ways, uh, I, I'm a very disciplined person in relative to, you know, the, I believe in strategic plans. A lot of people don't. I have So there's a kind of clear roadmap, a sense of priority, mm-hmm. because I know I can get things, we will get things done that way. Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of, in me, a lot of, uh, you know, focus in terms of, accomplishing goals so you know i i set i set ambitious goals and i and i asked the faculty to set ambitious goals and but i also want them to push 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 them and be behind them so um you know it's really hard to push a rock uphill so you know you gotta have you gotta get everyone kind of pushing the same in the same in the same way so that really takes relationship building and uh creating and this is like you know a Every kind of environment, the educational environment, the culture of the school has to be, uh, you know, fun to be part of. Uh, so you have to make the experience. Uh, you have to make, you know, it's really one of like really being able to get, you know, that, uh, you know, allow people to do their best work. That's kind of what 
mm-hmm. I believe in. And do you think that that drives ambition too? I think it. I think it um, from the very beginning. I hope it drives ambition. I mean, I'm lucky that I have a chancellor who talks about this idea of being five stars. He tell he says that every school has to be five stars, meaning, you know, we all have to be excellent. And and who you know who doesn't want to work for someone who thinks you, the, it should be five stars? You know, I'm not saying you should hold back, but what would make it truly be the best program that you can make it? So, I think if you set ambitious and aspirational goals, uh, you know, uh, then then people uh, are attracted to that, and that the kind of person you attract to that wants to get something done in there, and with the time that they spend working, and uh, especially because most, uh, you know, it's very few people that come into the field that are dispassionate. Most people come in highly passionate and engaged in what they do. Sometimes that wanes over the years, depending, especially if they feel beat up, but. Uh, but I think, yeah, most people, you know, have need to be pushed to to get more accomplished. I mean, I think it's just the nature of human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people that that know you uh, associate international programming with with you and in your history. Um, and I think there's a lot of generalities about the importance of international programming for students, right? That it, it broadens their horizons, it gives them an experience that they've, they've never had before. But is there something personal that you could talk about that what continues to drive you to want to create those international experiences for students? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, it's interesting. I mean, I've been really fortunate because I've had great mentors in this regard, like Jack Kehoe in the Cortona program. And I saw people like Bob Anderson at West Virginia build the China program from a passion and a deep need to, to do something. And the, and the, all those things exist, like you say. I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons we do international programs is is because we really believe that our students benefit by learning from other cultures and being part of part of the world. And in architecture here, for example, we have several key faculty. Adrian Lachini, who's run a program in Buenos Aires and Barcelona, and he believes in the in you know the the contemporary architecture in those in those places, but also, you know, if you if you if you if you're an architect and you're looking at designing in Helsinki versus Buenos Aires, you've got different climates and different cultures to to consider. Uh, uh, but fundamentally, I think you know it's sort of at the soul and the sort of heart of what we do. I mean, I think. Um, you know, it's, it, you learn by contrast and you learn by being uh, completely a, a little bit off balance in, in, in a different culture. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, it, it's good to it's good to have contrast and also to, it's it's humbling in, in many ways to be in, a, in another in another mm-hmm. culture, too. So I think it works on so many different uh, levels. Uh, I've, I've really actually just been fortunate enough to end up at places where there are people passionate enough to make the investment. And really great international programs are built on the backs I found of individuals who really care deeply about uh, that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, once that person or people go, series of people go away, it can be hard to sustain mm-hmm. because it does take an extra. Uh, monumental effort to really keep a to keep an international program going mm-hmm. yeah so i think another thing that that is kind of interesting to hear you talk about is this kind of relationship between again with you and faculty of like queuing in on what people's passions and interests are and yeah. and then and then again like having your own sort of idea of where that can go mm-hmm. 
And so I think the, the question that I'm going to try to get at it, it might, it might sound a little oddball, but I've been, I talked to Chris Brandio recently and he kind of mm -hmm. talked about the post tenure and I kind of went through this myself. I feel like mm -hmm. sort of post tenure years, yeah. and you feel a little lost and you yeah. feel like you, you know, tenure, you kind of understand exactly what you're trying to achieve. And then if you get it, it's just kind of like, well, now what do I do? It's not as clear cut. Mm -hmm. So could you talk about, uh, and I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be asking for advice for people or, right. but yeah. you know, could you talk about like finding that or figuring out where you go after you right. land the job and if you're lucky enough to get tenure and that kind of a thing? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It, in one way, I, I didn't have time to think about that myself. <laughs> because I got thrust into the chair position so quickly, you know, at West Virginia, and then, and then, and then the Georgia uh, position. So I never really had this sort of, uh, you know, drop off period. I never felt like I really did. In fact, just as I was starting to understand becoming a full professor, I, I sort of felt like, I mean, I went through the ranks pretty quickly and my jobs always evolved into expanding my portfolio, so to speak. On the other hand, Interestingly, I thought about it a lot over the years because from an organizational standpoint, both at West Virginia, where I radically changed uh, the, the governance structure from, uh, you know, all males, uh, you know, late career to a mix of men and women at different stages of their career as chairs and giving some, you know, unusual suspects the, the role of, of chair and director and, and taking some chances. Here too, I've, I've really created a system where there's young chairs who get to run the undergraduate and graduate programs, because I do think, um, and I don't mean administrators, administration's the only way, but totally sometimes rejuvenating people through, uh, you know, having different roles and different amount of responsibility or different amount of uh, impact or or uh, directed, I should say, decision making that has impact. Um, I think that's that's something I do think I think about. At the same time, I, I'm talking a little bit internally here. Externally, uh, international programs are one ways I've seen. I, I mean, I collaborate with one of my great colleagues, Igor Marianovich, who who works with me in Florence, and he's done an extraordinary job building building the program. And you know, um, it's it's sort of just picking up. I think on. Uh, ideas from from the standpoint of being in the role I'm in, but uh, as a faculty member, I think it's like you know, like Sprandio just getting out and getting in Berlin and doing you know more stuff. I think trying to find, it, I, I understand that it's like, but as an artist too, I think um, you know if 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 you don't have those things within your school, I think getting out there and being as you have, you know, part of larger communities, SGC, CAA. Um, you know, being part of a community and having a leadership role in that, in that way could be, I think, uh, another way uh, that people expand, uh, expand, you know, the excitement in their careers. Uh, maybe you need to start an international program, Joe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll as, you, yes. as you worked with and met people over the years, have you, have you, do you think you could get a sense of when a faculty member would be a good ad administrator or has have those skills to be oh. a good administrator? Yeah, that that's pretty intuitive. I mean, you sort of start start to see people who do it, even if they don't mean to be doing it. They're just good at, 
mm-hmm. you know, good at it. They have a kind of aptitude or they have a kind of inclination to want or things to organize themselves, uh, you know, a certain way. And, uh, and, and they, ju- and they're pretty skillful at it and, uh, they just need to be given the opportunity, uh, to do it. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I think there's actually, uh, unfortunately there are fewer people out there than I wish there were to recommend to, to jobs that come up sometimes, uh, that want to, to want to take it on, um, for external positions. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty, uh, it's pre- for me, it's, it seems pretty easy to recognize. And then also the other part is really to make sure that you take time to, uh, invest in, um, workshops and things that help for leadership. We have some great, uh, programs here for women in leadership that the university runs that a lot of our uh, faculty have taken advantage of and um, you know other leadership workshops outside the uh, inside the university I, I haven't done much of that myself but I found that it's really been great for for young people to be able to be with other young leaders so is it is uh, it hard to convince people to become an administrator or in a leadership position? Well, it's, it's a, it, I mean, as long as the right balance of incentive is there, uh, you know, reward, but, uh, I don't know if it's so hard because they sort of end up self identifying. And when that time comes, uh-huh. um, they sort of fall in the role, but it's easy for them to get burnt out if you're not careful. So, uh, it making sure the rewards are there for someone, which sometimes even means putting them in a position to maybe even have an opportunity somewhere else, which, mm-hmm. It's fine, but it's, you know, it's part of the, it's, it's usually my, my goal is to keep people happy while they're here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I, I think we might be coming up with time. So I've got, I have one last question that again, it might be kind of a weird question. Okay. Good. Um, (laughs) So there's been a lot of weird things been going on in the world lately. Right. And I think there's a lot of, especially in academia, I feel like there's a lot of really negative feelings about where academia is going, just in general, not even just in terms of an art program. Right. So are you are you optimistic? Do you what do you yeah, are you optimistic yeah. about where things are going or yeah. possibly could go? I, well, I'm optimistic, but I, I think, you know, there are some serious issues within, uh, you know, their crisis in higher education. And I'm not sure which things you might be referring to specifically, but, you know, certainly, you know, fi- the financial part of the education yeah. mm-hmm. has, has been one of those. Uh, the current, you know, climate politically, too, is not very favorable in terms of research and also uh you know, the states haven't been very good about supporting their own uh, institutions. So, you know, it's become somewhat of a challenge at universities because even the orientation of a university has become more geared towards a kind of service culture rather than a learning culture. So, you know, we're always in the arms race for, you know, better facilities and dorms and all these other kinds of things that have to do with lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is 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 something we have to address because it's not sustainable. But on the other hand, there's no better pathway than a than a high you know than a college education. And you can hear people talking the other way, but you know there's plenty, ample evidence of the success that happens when a student goes to college. And you know some of my favorite days, Joe, teaching really were at West Virginia University because those kids that were coming to college. They were real. A lot of times, first generation. They were eager to learn, and they and it made a it made a difference, you know. And and uh, you know, I, I think uh, you, I don't know that again. There's challenges out there in terms of 
what's happening, but you know, higher education will will endure. And I think, uh, as we as was predicted, probably you know, 20 years ago, uh, they won't all endure. Uh, you know, some are more prepared. Uh, there's going to be great universities, and there's going to be some that are going to really struggle. But uh, but overall, the idea of higher education in the United States is still one of the, the great success stories. And I think it will continue to be, but can't be complacent because um, other countries are, are moving rapidly to build better systems, including Asia, which we're at this point pretty dependent on uh, that population uh, to, to fill a lot of American universities. Uh, so there really is a global, there really is a global situation that's emerging. And I think like all things in the world, we need to be aware that it's, uh, it's context is much more than, uh, you know, status quo. I mean, again, I don't think, I don't think we can be, we're going to be able to be complacent and make it work because their students have choices to go to other countries. Right. Do you have conversations like big conversations like this with your chancellor or with faculty? Oh. For sure, yeah, we have regular conversations about the, the the overall political environment, the global environment. In fact, last just last Friday, uh, I came back to give a presentation to the board of trustees about the state of our our own school. And I would say, you know, the each school has its own uh, you know threats or vulnerabilities. Ours is a very uh, includes a very large uh, international population, and given the current political environment, is making it any easier to make feel, people feel comfortable that they want to come, uh, you know, to, to the United States. So uh, the other is uh, just the cost of, of tuition at a private school relative to earning power of a, um, you know, of a, of, a, of a graduate of architecture or, or art. Uh, and, um, yeah, so we talk about, we talk about that. We talk, you know, if you want to talk more broadly speaking, you know, the dean of the medical school presented, and you know, the threats to the National Institute of Health and to, you know, overall uh, cost of doing pioneering research in, in in medical, one of the top medical schools in the country, is a is a <laughs> these are huge issues when it comes to what's happening with our government and, uh, you know, what's happening with the. Um, you know the 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 kind of grants that are going to be put into the sciences, or let alone the arts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually this touches on something that I would tell you that um, uh, might be running over time here, but I'll just say briefly that you know one of the things that I've found is that art in a university is really very different than art in a private art school, and you know the 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 in the sense that the the complexity or the sort of fullness, if you will, of, of having all the disciplines. So my interactions, you know, seven deans at the university are, you know, dean of arts and science, dean of law, dean of medicine, and so, you know, engineering and so forth. So I have a very different perspective, and I think our students do, too, by having faculty in all of these different disciplines, which I think is, you know, really incredible. Yeah. Do you still get... Uh you still get emotional at graduation? <laughs> yeah, I get emotional at graduation. I love graduation. I, I can't believe I've been at so many of them now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I love it. It's a great time of reflection and contemplation. And I often have, uh, even when you said that, I, I, I got some goosebumps because <laughs> I still, you know, like you, you know, I remember with your, your, your family, you know, it's just like, you know, seeing people, you know, seeing young people graduating and the experience of, of going through it with them. There's, you know, the talks and, and the moment, um, you know, and what's in front uh, is, is all, it's always renewing. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you? Oh, yeah. I love going to Grand <laughs> Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Carmen, for talking. It's awesome, Joe. Thank you. It was thank really you. great. Professor Lupo. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank you both for participating. This has been really great, a really fascinating conversation. Thank you, Ellen. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you.